I do believe we've been in the presence of a mighty God this morning. Amen. What fantastic worship. What a joy it is to worship with my flock and to uh, just know that God's Spirit is here. What joy is ours to be uh, not only His children, but be given a love letter that will teach us about a God who loves, a God who gives, and teach us how to live our life. Broken sinners like you and me, in the midst of a holy God. This broken sinner's got to preach. When we talk about holiness of God, you know how intimidating it is to get back up and stand up in front of God's people? So let's ask God's presence to come. Because what I know for sure is you don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from him. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who always was, who is, and who will always be holy God. Father, we thank you that you in your immensity, you in your your holiness and in your goodness come to us and love us and meet with us, redeem us and rescue us through the work of your son. God, you haven't left us as orphans. You've given us the Holy Spirit that, that many of us so tangibly felt even this morning in worship, knowing that you're here with us because two or more are gathered in your name. So God, would you come with such power today that you'd be pleased as a holy God to to do that which is only you could do to speak through a broken, sinful vessel for your glory and for the health of your people. So give us ears to hear. Hear your voice. Shine in our dark minds. May we understand your word. Father, would you lovingly take our hearts and would you cause them to, to beat for you? Would you lovingly break the parts of stone and sin and disbelief so we too can be more holy like our God? And Father, can we walk out of here with newness of life that we've been together and we've been with you, we've been under your word and and we're fired up to go walk in a manner worthy of the gospel because it's through us, it's through the church that you want the manifold wisdom of God to be known to this world. Amazing. God, come and speak. The things that I say are wrong or merely my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are true and contain the good news of Jesus Christ, may you use those things to make us more like Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Have you seen the picture of the rubble? I bet you have. Have you seen the picture of the rubble that has been caused by this tornado season that's ripped through our country? So many parts of our country again this morning gathering, gathering and maybe tents or new places because of the rubble from the tornadoes. Have you seen like Joplin, Missouri? That, that, that whole place was basically wiped out. I mean, over a hundred people killed because of amazing tornadoes. How Amazing, powerful, strong uh, storms that have ripped through there, devastated life, devastated structures, and left nothing but rubble. A whole city. How horrific. How powerful. Yet that whole city is now going to have to be rebuilt. And isn't our country, doesn't our country rally well? I mean, that's one thing about Americans that we do pretty well. We rally pretty well. 
I mean, we rally uh, in times of need, uh, especially when loved ones or our country's in need. And, and we have a propensity to stand up and say, I'm in. Uh, I'm in for the solution. I want to fight. We have a government that, that does what they can to try to rally support and, and support those. And sometimes we see the bureaucracy and sometimes the red tape and maybe all the help doesn't get to where it needs to go. But what about the people? What about a typical American in a time like this? And again, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with what I see over and over again with Katrina or uh, with, with what happened in Haiti or even this church. Maybe you've been new to this church, but there's times in this church history that, that we've given offerings just to give away when others are, are hurting. It's amazing to see, uh, especially God's people, rally around those who are hurting and to, be, uh, to help build. But in the midst of that rubble, what can be really rebuilt? What do they got to do? Well, the first thing they got to do is remove all the rubble, right? I mean, get all it out of there. I mean, basically, you look at what's left, and it's hard to recognize anything. They said they actually had to spray paint on some of the roads what the street names were. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going down your street and not knowing it's your street because of the rubble that was there? Can you imagine going back to your house and trying to find it and you have to see the spray painted name of the roads because everything that you knew before has been reduced to rubble. So you got to clear all that out. Clear all that out to, to build new. But can you imagine what it would be like in Joplin, Missouri if they had to rebuild without the support of the government? What if they had to rebuild without not only the support of the government? What about all those in the surrounding cities of Joplin really did nothing, not only didn't want to support them, but they wanted to ridicule them. They wanted to make fun of them. They want to say, you feeble people from Joplin, what are you doing? Do you really think you could rebuild your city? Do you really think that you have what it takes to rise up the rubble and to make this a city again? You foolish people from Joplin. What if they had to build in the midst of no support from government, not only that, but an antagonistic uh, 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 attitude toward them? It'd be very difficult. What about, what about this? What if the people of Joplin had to rebuild their entire city only with the rubble that was there? There's no going to Home Depot. There's no going to Lowe's. There's no getting new stuff. There's no just clearing out the rubble. Basically, they would have to say, okay, let's see what we got and let's start to rebuild. In the midst of all the rubble, talk about an amazingly tough task, is it not? If you get that picture, you get such a sense a little bit about Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah was building in the midst of ridicule. As a matter of fact, he was surrounded, and the text today uh, talks about who he was surrounded by. And again, the names don't mean anything to us for the most part. I mean, they're, they're ancient names, they're distant names, even the places don't mean a whole lot. But I can tell you this, what the writer intended to tell us when he gives us the list of names here in chapter 4 of who is ridiculing, who is insulting, who is against God's people, what he is doing is he's saying the people from the north, the people from the south, the people from the east, and the people from the West, all of them, they are in a circumference of 360 degrees of absolute ridicule. Of absolutely, not only we don't want you to rebuild, but we're going to do everything we can to sneer at you, to, to ridicule you, to threaten you. And by the way, what you have to use is just the rubble. 
What you have to use is those stones that, are, that have been knocked over from the Babylonians who destroyed the city. Not only did they destroy it, they burned the gates. Even the very stones are charred. How do you rebuild with that? Some of you can relate to that in your own personal life. And some of you look at your life and, man, does it feel so broken. Does it feel like, uh, really, that, that, that what's remaining in your life is just rubble? And, and, and what is there has been so burned by life. I mean, maybe burned by a broken relationship or burned financially or just, just experiencing the crumbleness of life. And some of you can relate. And many of you can understand the sting of ridicule. I mean, they've told us that sticks and stones will break our bones, but names of what? They'll never hurt us? Are you kidding me? To be ridiculed? To be made fun of? To be exposed? To be accused? I mean, how many of you right now, just sitting right here, could just feel the reality of, of a life that's either half-built or a life that's still a bit in rum, uh, shambles? How many of you right now can understand the reality of being ridiculed for what you're not, for who you're not? Maybe for what you have done or haven't done. That's the picture of those that were called to work in Jerusalem. After 2004, after the hurricanes came through here, uh, and after a couple of years of this church hearing from me, their senior pastor, for two years, I started in 2002, and, and really we talked over and over again that, that God has called us for His glory. He's called us, the church, to be a, a city on the hill. He's called us to, to let this whole world know about His goodness and His manifold wisdom. He's called us to be offensively minded. He's called us to seek the shalom of the city. He's called us to make a difference in the community in which we live. He's called us to be change agents, ambassadors. He's, he's called us to nurture transformation in all we do for God's glory. And after a couple of years of hearing that and hearing that and hearing that, and in God's providence, he sends through with storms like Hurricane Charlie and Jean and Francis. And much of our community was left with a scar of those blue tarps. Remember that scar of those blue tarps? Seeing them around our community. Maybe your house had one. But it was, it was at that time that in Eatonville, we found Mrs. Franklin's house and we found that, that, that blue tarp. And, and we really thought, especially as a pastoral staff, we thought maybe God was, was raising this place up. Maybe he's giving us a, a tangible place to build, to build, to show the love of Christ. Not that we have to earn God's salvation or, or, or love. We've already received it by God's grace in Christ. But maybe this is it. So we built Man, oh man. Did you know that? Do you know that this church built a house in Eatonville in 30 days? It's crazy. It's pretty amazing. But do you know we got ridicule? I mean, we had internal ridicule and external ridicule. I remember, I remember when we found out that there was too much rubble in the lady's house to build a new roof. Listen, we didn't start off building a house. We just wanted to build a new roof. You know, that's a much easier thing. And when you start investigating, you realize we can't get this thing to code. We, can't, we aren't able to build a roof on a, on a faulty foundation. The city won't let us do it. So what do we do? Stymied again. And the craziness of God's spirit said, man, let's just build her a new one. Man, maybe that's it. Build them a new one. We're a church. We're not contractors. We're not builders, right? 
And I remember once we decided that it was great enthusiasm, excitement. Yeah, we're going to build. We're going to do this. But there's also great ridicule. I remember from internally, there was ridicule. Hey, you guys are church. What are you doing? And I remember we actually lost some members. I remember some of my closest friends left. I thought we were off vision, off task, wrong house, whatever. It was pain. Pain and ridicule. But there was ridicule from the outside, too. They saw a church from Maitland going to Eatonville. And a lot of people say, hey, have you been inviting me there? Are you doing the right things? Have you gone through the right steps? Have you done all the things that are prudent? And listen, it's smart for us to do all those things. But the bottom line is we really hadn't. And I got really nervous. And I remember receiving some phone calls from some other pastors and would say, what are you guys doing? I mean, do you think you're the great white hope? I mean, what are you doing? And you start receiving this ridicule and think, oh, Lord, it's difficult to get in this. But knowing he is. But what if, what if God called us to build and he just wanted us to use the material that was in the Franklin house? You know, the first thing we had to do is knock it down. Then we had to haul away all away. What if we tried to redo it just with that stuff? How hard would that be? What if when we went, and some of the, many of you went and worked, what if we went and every time we went, we got ridiculed? Every time we went, instead of saying, man, thank you for coming, thank you for helping, we got ridiculed and say, what in the world are you doing? Well, that's exactly what we did. And by God's grace, that is how we built. And there was a ton of rubble. But God said, hey, start new and start fresh and rebuild. Surprisingly, do you know what God's pattern for rebuilding is? God's pattern for rebuilding, he tells us right in here, it's amazing. God's pattern for rebuilding is this, is to take that which is broken, to take that which is burned, to take that which was placed on the garbage heap and use that to build for himself a temple, to build for himself your life and my life for his glory. Listen, I have such good news. God's way of building is to take that which is broken, that which is torn down, that which is burned up, and use just that for his glory. Isn't that good news? Isn't that amazing? I mean, the questions that were being asked in this text is this. Who are those feeble Jews? How in the world do they think they could rebuild this city? How could they think they could rebuild this wall? Can you hear people saying that about us? Who are these feeble Christians? They really think you could change society? Do you really think you could make a difference? Do you really think you could build in a way that brings God's glory? Who are these feeble Jews? Now, let me ask that. Are they going to be able to create a place that's a sacrifice? I mean, were they going to pray up these walls, he was basically saying? I mean, could this really be a place of sacrifice, of living sacrifice for God? Can this really do it? Can God use a broken person like you and me to do it? And they looked at the stones, and I love it. He says, look at these stones that are all burnt and destroyed. Can they come back to life? Could they really do it? Do you know that God takes stones, calls us precious stones, and by the work of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ and robed in his righteousness? Do you know that he brings life to broken stones and rocks like you and me? You know, that's what he does. 
And He does it so that He can shine through our brokenness, shine through even our depravity, all for His glory. What an amazing God. God's plan for building is this, to use the broken and to make something beautiful. So I got good news, Orangewood. In your life and in your brokenness, God has everything he needs to make something that will be a trophy for him. That will be an absolute testimony for him. I, I had a luncheon this week uh, with some Eatonville pastors and, and uh, uh, we're, we were planning for jobs partnership. And, and I don't know who teaches African-American preachers these great little sayings, but they, are, they, are, they have them all. I mean, I'm telling you, there's like, if there was a market on great little sayings, I mean, I'm telling you, they own them. And, and I'm, I want to walk behind them and start writing things down. Thinking, how, how did you guys hear this stuff? And, and it's just really good stuff. And there are things like this. Listen, you can't have a message without a mess. That's good, man. <laughs> you can't have a message without a mess. You can't have a testimony without a test. That's good. You can't have a testimony without a test. The good news is, Orangewood, is what God is doing in this church is some exciting stuff. I tell you, it's a healthy, it's a great church. I, I leaned over to Katie as we're worshiping, and I said, I love this church. And God's here in this church. God's doing wonderful stuff. We're not done yet. We're going to have a congregational meeting right after this church service, and we're going to elect new officers. And I'm so excited about what God's doing in this church. We got a fall plan, a new initiatives, and two worship services, and trying to be a better community. I'm so excited what God's doing in this church. But listen, here's what I want you to hear really clearly for your life and for this church. God has everything he needs right here to make something even more beautiful for his glory, including your life. I don't know what baggage you bring in here. I don't know what story. I know many of your stories, but I don't completely your story. But I know that there is an accuser and there's an enemy that wants to whisper in your ear to say, you are not good enough. You're just not good enough. Do you know that we have an enemy who that's his job is to accuse us? He accused Jesus and he accuses every one of God's children. Do you know that we're in a battle? Listen, the battle begins when we become Christians, does it not? I mean, the, the Bible tells us that, that there is a, a spiritual power in this world and that there is a, a devil, Satan, who, who would love to wreck your life and my life. And he's an accuser. And he would love to tell you over and over and over again all the things that you and I are not. And let's be honest, we give him a lot of fodder, don't we? I mean, he doesn't have to make things up about me to be true to accuse me. I mean, he, he doesn't have to dig that deep into my life to see all the things that he could accuse me with. He doesn't need a, microfi- a magnifying glass. It's pretty clear. And he lives his life to be an accuser. You call yourself a preacher. You call yourself a pastor. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a dad. You call yourself a husband. You call yourself a man. Really? So he does. He lives to accuse. And then there's a mirror. Does anybody else's mirror accuse? <laughs> Anybody else's mirror accuse you? I mean, forget for what's out there. What about the internally? Just seeing yourself. Anybody else is just, you see all the things you're not over and over and over again. And basically, it's like what's happening here in Nehemiah. They're being told, you're feeble. You can't do it. You can't build your life. 
The, the, the wall was half done. The wall was half done. And what were the people doing? Their hearts were yet full. They were full. How in the world can you have a half-built life and an absolutely full heart? Well, you have to have something that's in your ear that's more powerful than an accuser. Remember, we're in a world that wants to accuse you, even your neighbors. You call yourself a Christian. You think this church is supposed to, what it's supposed to be. We live in a world that our neighbors and our world would do it. We live in a world with an enemy that wants to accuse us. We live in a world that the mirror wants to accuse us. But I have such good news. is Jesus Christ has come into the world to speak louder than the accuser. And speak grace and mercy and truth to say, yes, but my blood has washed all of your foulest sins clean. My righteousness I'm going to give to you and see you. So when you sing holy, holy, holy is God and you know you're not, know that my son is. And know that I see you in him. And all that his righteousness and work has done, I see you there. And when the accuser wants to say you're guilty, you're bad, you're wrong, let the gospel come in and break you open of the truth. But you're mine, you're forgiven, you've been made beautiful. How in the world can we live in a world that's so half-built, lives that are so half-built for God's glory in the midst of all the accusation? I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, we have to be haunted by God. Think about that. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Haunted by God. What in the world is he trying to say that we are haunted by God? Uh, he's, here's what he's saying. He's basically saying, listen, I know how much accusing there is in this world. And I know how much the enemy wants to say your half-built life isn't really worth living. Your half-built church isn't really worth celebrating. Your half-built marriage or your kids or whatever isn't there and being accused and accused and accused. But Chambers says, may the gospel haunt us. May Christ haunt us in this way. If we are haunted by God, nothing else can get in. No cares, no tribulations, no anxieties. Did you hear that? If we are haunted in the sense that the presence of God is so tangible in our lives and we know the reality of God's love in the face of Jesus Christ, when we know the power of the Holy Spirit, when we know whose we are over any cry of the world of what we are not, if we are haunted by God and His love and His presence, nothing else can get in. No cares, no tribulations, no anxieties. We see now why our Lord so emphasized the sin of worry. How can we dare to be so utterly unbelieving when God is round about us? To be haunted by God is to have an effective barrier against all the onslaughts of the enemy. This is what Paul says to the writers in Corinthians, when he wrote to the Corinthians. He says, widen your hearts. Widen your hearts. The key verse in this passage is amazing. They're getting ridiculed, and yet they continue to build. How can they do it? Because of their hearts. Their hearts and their minds will filled with the love of God. That's the only defense we have is to be remember, remind ourselves how much God loves us. All that Jesus has done for us. To widen our hearts. Because worry is trying to drive God out and try to get us anxious about all that we are not. So he says, widen your hearts. Have you done it? 
Are you haunted with Jesus? Haunted by him? Is, is his presence so dear and near that through all that you're not, all that is broken, all that remains to be built, is Jesus so near in the midst of all the rubble? Is Jesus so real that you know that his work was so complete and finished and perfect for you that in the midst of your half-built life, you can praise and work for him for the glory of God? That uh, tells us how we are to live uh, in the reign of ridicule. I mean, he also, how, do, how does a heart work in the, uh, the reign of ridicule? We know how to pray. Uh, I love what Nehemiah does. I'm going to give you a couple things in the last few minutes here and kind of go quickly. We're going to go to communion. But what does Nehemiah do? Is prayer part of your life? We need to know that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. We've seen it over and over and over again. But specifically now, he teaches us when he is ridiculed, guess what he does not do back? He does not ridicule back. He does not, and I tell you, this is so convicting to me. I mean, even in traffic, if I'm ridiculed, you know what I want to do? Ridicule back. And I got some stories, and there's some really dumb things I've done, and some really dumb things I've said. But what does Nehemiah do? He prays. Don't strike back, but pray. Pour your heart out to God, not your words on others. Know that God is intimately involved in your situation. I know the pain could make you feel that God doesn't, isn't present in your life. But the reality is God is, and he'll never leave his children. He'll never forsake them. It may feel like he's left the building. That's not true. When you are being ridiculed, know that God is intimately involved with you. Know that God is just. If you are being unjustly treated at school or at work or at home, know that ultimately God is just. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But know that that holy God is just. We also need to adjust our prayers to what Jesus teaches us in the gospel. I mean, this uh, precatory prayer, God, may you like, you know, smash our enemies to little bits, blow them up to tiny little bits. It's, it's oftentimes that we read scripture and there is a, there is, there's this praying to God, his justice and praying to God's holiness. I mean, we got to tweet that and just know, okay, what did you tell us, Jesus? You told us to pray for our enemies, to, to turn the other cheek. Know that God is just. Pour your heart out. I think it's so funny to see, see our prayers sometimes because we're afraid to tell God the truth. Many of us go to God with amazing broken hearts, with amazing half-built walls. And you know what we tell them? Like little Christian religious things. And we're really afraid of just telling them the truth. I want you to know God already knows it. And he's big enough to handle it. And I think it would be a whole lot better if he just told them the truth. You're not going to surprise him. And if it gets a little salty, it's okay. He loves you. Make it a little salty. Be truthful. Pour your heart out to the one who loves you and has set you free. He knows you. But also it says this, pray and set a guard. Here's what they did. They prayed and they set a guard. Isn't that cool? And some of us want to say, well, just praying is enough. You know, I'm struggling with gambling. I'm going to pray it away. I'm struggling with materialism. I'm going to pray it away. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm going to pray it away. I'm struggling with whatever fill in the blank. Yeah, pray. Pray like crazy. Be haunted by God. But set a guard. Set a guard. If you struggle with materialism, take out the credit cards before you go to the store. If you're struggling with gambling, don't get yourself in that position. Pornography, you maybe have to move the computer or whatever. Set a guard. It's so practical. 
I mean, God is with us. He is sufficient. Uh, but he wants us to pray and set a guard. Listen, knowing what works in the reign of ridicule is just that God, God, is, God does his best work. He does his best work through broken vessels like you and me. And the only way we can work for his glory is to know this good news of Jesus. Do you know it? Has he built your life? Do you know that for us to be living stones, he had to be the chief cornerstone? You know that the Father set him in place for us and he gave him to us and he was rejected by men. You know, for our lives to be built, his had to be torn. For us to have life, he had to endure death. For us to understand righteousness, he had to become our sin and depravity. Can you picture this amazing, beautiful house that God is building and using you? And it all starts with this cornerstone of Jesus who's enough, who we want to build our lives on and, 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 and live for his glory to be haunted by. And because of what Jesus has done, he can take your, your, your broken and wounded and my broken and wounded life, he can build something beautiful for his glory. Not only does he have us a heart that, that loves him and um, builds for him, he also feeds us. And this meal is a meal that reminds us that, hey, I want to use you. I love you. I was broken so you could be healed. You're mine. I'm building something wonderful that I'm very, very proud of. And I'm going to give you this meal to strengthen you in your life because you're going to need it because there's a lot of accusers out there. But don't forget, I won. I silenced the accuser, Satan himself. I won the victory. Don't forget my broken body. Don't forget my poured out blood, all for you. Don't forget, I always finish what I start. So he gives us a meal to remember who he is and what he has done so we can build for him. Let us pray. Father God, what an amazing God you are that you could take these burned stones, you could build something beautiful of even our lives. Father, we live in the midst of ridicule and scorn. I pray for each one of us here today, God. Maybe for some for the first time. Maybe for some for the first time in a long time. That we together as a church would be haunted by the presence of Christ Jesus in our lives. That you would come and you remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus. And you'd remind us through the broken bread and poured out wine. Father, before communion, we have a chance to, to give to you our tithes and offerings. It's so good to give knowing that you already love us. That you're not, we're not trying to earn that love or salvation. But God, would you use these gifts to build our lives, to build these walls, to advance Christ's kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.